On this episode of the Bo Templin Show, I've got some of my old friends joining me. I got Uncle Luke Domask today. I got Ben Sorensen of Fox Sports coming to join. And uh, the three of us, we talk a little bit about The Last Dance, which may be the best episode so far. And I was a huge fan of the Rodman, Phil Jackson episodes. But this week was unbelievable. So, please, tune in. We're going to be on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud. I'm going to get this thing on YouTube. So, let me know what you think, what you guys want to hear next, and this is The Bo Templin Show. Alright, gentlemen. We're rocking and rolling. It is Tuesday, May 5th, 4.30 here out in San Diego, California. Coming on the show today, I got Ben Sorensen. I got Uncle Luke Domask. Gentlemen, if you want to start, where are you right now in the world, and uh, how's your week been? Uncle or Uncle Luke, you can start first. We'll go to Ben after that. Uh, I'm in Chicago, Illinois. Funny enough, Bo, I woke up to the notification this morning that, um, speaking of notifications, uh, of the... Might uh, as well get that out of the way early, huh? <laughs> um, what was it? Of my flight for Southwest to San Diego was supposed to be today at 9 a.m., so unfortunate that I can't be in San Diego. I'd be, I'd be in your presence right now, actually. Um, if it was a uh, normal times, but nope, still stuck in Chicago, but this, I guess is the next best thing talking some, some last dance with you. That's pretty, uh, heartbreaking to hear, honestly, like that, that is, <laughs> I just... didn't want to, I didn't want to open it up with bad news, but I, I know. Well, I and it wasn't, it, so. and actually it wasn't even just going to be you. We had, uh, we had Jack Mays coming out this week and then Austin Keeler, who's in San Diego now, but would have been in San Francisco and would have came down to visit this weekend. Uh, it was gonna be it was gonna be a pretty good week we had lined up, but uh, you know it'll happen sooner rather than later. I have no doubt about it. Ben Sorensen, where you at, my friend? How we doing, champ? Hey, I'm doing well. I am live from Los Angeles, California. A sunshine, a lot of sunshine outside, but staying inside. Uh, another week, no sports. Uh, just twiddling my thumbs, itching to get back <laughs> out, back to work. Honestly, you're preaching the choir here, um, gentlemen. You know, the good news here is that we got some fun stuff to talk about today. Um, you know, the last three, four weeks, The Last Dance has provided an incredible amount of relief to my week. Um, it gives me something to be excited about. It's something that, you know, Sunday rolls around. We're locked in for two hours. You know, there's no moving from the couch. There's nothing else to it. You're locked in for those two hours. couple things that I did notice this week that we'll get into here in a little bit, but Overall, what's your reaction from the episodes here of The Last Dance? I know, Uncle Luke, you've got – you said that this might have been your favorite week so far of the uh, of the documentary. Yeah, man. I mean, there's a whole lot going on. First of all, the the opening – I know both of you would appreciate it. I alluded to it on Twitter a little bit. But the opening to the first – or the fifth episode where um, Madison Square Garden, like aerial shot, you got Nas and Lauren Hill in the background, then you have um, that footage of – the you know, the behind the scene footage of the 98 all-star game. I mean, you never see that. Right. And like, I think whenever the all-star game comes around, that's like something I always want to see. I want to see these guys who are, you know, going head to head all season. Some of these guys are seeing each other four times a year, playing against each other four times a year. And, and to see them kind of loosen up a little bit, hang out in the locker room before the game, obviously you had, you had Jordan magic and bird who kind of ruled that era. So to see like those old heads and then you had the younger guys, you know, obviously Kobe, the Kobe dynamic in general is just really cool to see. Um, unfortunately after the fact, you know, I think um, when they did his interview, I think a lot of people were kind of itching for a little bit more Kobe in it. Maybe we'll see it a little bit later on, but I think 
you know, when they were doing the documentary, they were expecting Kobe to be around to kind of elaborate on what he spoke to, spoke about. And there's no doubt Kobe would be on some podcast right now or some some show talking more about this, the, the last dance and that in general. But I, I think I'll, I'll hand it off to you, Ben. But I think my overall reaction was I loved um, like these four years in the Bulls championship run going into them, how it started, and then obviously sustaining that success and then what led up to his retirement. I thought it was really fun. to. There's the best behind-the-scenes footage, um, I think, so far, without a doubt. Ben Sorensen, overall reaction from this week? Uh, that behind-the-scenes stuff, behind stuff is, like, the stuff I live for, you know. And Kobe, a year and a half in the league, like, I already got the Eastern All-Stars talking about that little Laker boy. I mean, Jordan liked it. I mean, I think he was kind of talking shit, but – he, he was, like, ready for it. He wanted it. Uh, so, I mean, first reaction watching this doc is just, uh, Mike is just next-level athlete. I mean, like, I think the league is so stacked now with, like, guys like LeBron and Kawhi, and, like, we take these dudes for granted. But, I mean, Mike jumps, and everyone else falls to the ground because they're human, and then he hangs and then hits a shot in your face and then lets you hear about it. So, I mean, to me, as someone, we didn't watch it, to now see it live and like, and there's something to be said about, I want to beat you all the time. You know, LeBron is so calculated and he thinks about these big business and movie decisions, yada, yada. But there's something to be said for, I am better than you and I'm going to prove it over and over. <laughs> you know, one of the things I think Jordan highlight, highlighted throughout it, but you know, they were talking about the PR machine that was behind Michael Jordan, right? They talked about the Gatorade stuff. They talked about the Nike line, Adidas fucking up just catastrophically yeah. with that deal. And ultimately, Michael Jordan's mom being the one to encourage him to go to this Nike meeting. But at the end of the day, he said, all the work that I put in with the PR and the commercial success, it stemmed from his play on the court. There was nowhere else. It started and ended right there. If he's losing games, if he doesn't win the rings, none of that stuff really works anyways. Um, Uncle Luke, I think we have to get into it, and I know Ben Sorensen's going to appreciate this just as much as us. The music this week was just fucking unbelievable, yeah. bro. Yeah. I mean, do you want to go ahead? You had a great tweet talking about Lauren Hill, so I'll let you open up with that little segue uh, in Madison Square no, Garden. I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, so, uh, Jason, how do you do? You not pronounce his last name, Jason? Hair, hair, higher. I wasn't exactly higher, sure. Yeah. Regardless, the director of The Last Dance was on the Dan Patrick show, and he really goes in depth uh, just behind the scenes of putting it all together. Obviously, you know, they're actually not done with episode 10 yet. They're like, they, they moved up the schedule for to accommodate everybody in quarantine, but also just the fact that, like, these are like 500 hours worth of behind the scene footage, right? So, like, they have to move these massive files around. Um, through the, you know, online, uh, you know, not, they can't do it locally, which means obviously much quicker, but the music, I hit a funny story. You know, they asked Mike, like, what was your favorite music, uh, to listen to before games just to kind of get like into his, you know, headphones, so to speak before games. And Mike liked like slow R and B type stuff, which is what I'm mean, like. I like that too. Like, you know, they you listen to that before games. It wasn't listening to LL Cool J, like I'm bad before games. The man was listening to like some very slow, you know, R and B type hip hop stuff. So they, they basically had to rework that. So Jason basically put his touches of his favorite music in the nineties on. And I think it was, I mean, it's phenomenal. You got Lauren Hill and Nas, you had, what else you had? Crisscross. You had, um, I mean, Rosa Parks by outcast. Yeah. Was, it stood too. out to me. Yeah. Like, in the middle of the documentary, I look over to my pops. I'm like, 
I was telling him, you know, a good friend of mine, Tyler Hagen, this is one of his favorite songs of all time. This is one of my favorite 90s songs ever. I think a lot of people forget that despite Jordan being the face of the 90s, he's not a 90s or 80s baby, right? Like, mm-hmm. my brother's born in 82. He's a huge 90s music fan. That's not the case for guys born prior to 80. Uh, ben Sorensen in the uh, production room, when you hear that it's not done yet, right? When you hear that episodes nine and 10 are still being worked on, how much anxiety are you feeling when you just hear those words? Uh, I mean, I'm like, that's like terrifying. I'm especially a doc of this magnitude. You got this many eyes on you. And I mean, I'm guessing interviews and everything's done, but it's like, uh, I was listening to somebody talking about doing remote edits. And then like, that's what we're resigned to too, is that we have editors scattered throughout Los Angeles just at their homes and it's hard drives and like, you know, literally putting a mask on and driving over to someone's house and dropping stuff off. And, uh, but to have this many eyes on you with nothing else going on and a deadline, I mean, mm. ugh, that's terrifying. But I mean, like from the music end, not only are they just hitting bangers, but it's, it's tying cultural moments, the, their ability to tie cultural moments and like snapshots in, this is 1992, like Madison Square Garden, New York, Nas, like, come on, man. It's, I mean, they really have mastered it. And I mean, as someone who uses that style and wants to tie songs in, in that way, it's, it's really impressive. And it's fun that the whole world gets to really appreciate, like, that's sports TV right there. Good sports TV. Yeah, they were on the money the whole week. And even when they played Outcast song, it's when, when Jordan's showing up in Atlanta, right? Like to take right. on the Hawks. Everything is perfect so far. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, we got a little bit of insight into the 92 Dream Team. And uh, that was the first time they probably hinted at it at all in, in the documentary we know a lot about the Dream Team. There's been previous documentaries done. NBA TV's got a great one. Michael Jordan called Clyde out and went at him. Tell him, this is what I'm going to do to you. Fall away, jumper. Good. What did I tell you? So I said, no, Clyde, you better get him back. You better get him back. Charles Barkley said, I want to take Carl Malone now. So Charles gets it. Fall away, jumper. Good. I said, oh, Carl, you got to get him back. You better go down there and get him back. Carl went right at him, jump shot. You ain't nothing. You ain't nothing, Barkley. So then I came down. His energy is real high. He feels like he's in an opportunity to prove himself. Um, And I like Magic Johnson's rendition of retelling the practice that they showed on, uh, on this week. But... I think the overall, like, most glaring part of the 92 Dream Team was leaving off Isaiah Thomas. Uncle Luke, yes or no, Michael Jordan asked for him to not be on the team. I mean, I would, I would assume that he wouldn't. And to be honest with you, like, I, 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 you know, I'm such a Jordan stan anyway growing up in Chicago. Like, we're right after the 90s. But, you know it would have messed with that chemistry. Like they obviously talk so much about the, the camaraderie and like, obviously you see it behind the scenes, how much of a good time they were having. There's no doubt that I think, you know, I don't think nine or eight guys, whatever it was, you know, purportedly said that, that they kind of had a gripe with Mike, with uh, Isaiah being on the team, whether it was just Mike and Isaiah or a couple other guys, there's no doubt it would have created some friction on the team. And like this team would not have operated as well and as dominant as they were without, that sort of just subtle 
calmness and like, hey, we're all here to get a good time. These are the best 10 basketball players on the planet or 12 basketball players on the planet or 11, including Leitner. But there's no doubt like Isaiah deserved to be on that team without a doubt. But Michael Jordan's the face of the dream team. He's the face of basketball, you know, from a global sense too. If Mike says, hey, like this guy, him and I go at it, at it back and forth. And there's obviously some disrespect there. This is 92. I'm sure they have admiration. You know, obviously they do have respect and, and uh, admiration for each other's game now. But, you know, Mike owns the city that Isaiah grew up in and owned high school basketball. Like Isaiah to this day still might be the best high school basketball player in Chicago ever. And like, we're talking about Rose. We're talking about Jabari Park who won four state titles in a row. Like, and Isaiah still might wipe them all out. Like from any old head you talk about who knew high school basketball at that point, like Isaiah owned it. And so, you know, obviously there's a friction there and it is what it is. Like I'm, I'm Isaiah will never get over it. And I'm sure he'll never get over Mike being the one who probably instigated him not being on that team. But at the same time, like Chuck Daly was the coach and coached Isaiah, right? Like Chuck could have been like, Hey, Isaiah's on this team. Cause he's one of the best 12, you know, 12 best basketball players alive right now. He's going to be on this team. But they didn't, you know, they appeased Michael and I can see it from both angles, but you know, you gotta appease the face of basketball at the time. That's that's my overall take on that, you know. Ben Sorensen, what's the uh what's the big takeaway from the uh, retelling of the ninety two dream team story? I mean, I could listen to that like Monte Carlo practice story. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, talk about uh I wanna be on the fly, a fly on the wall of any practice at any time. Probably that one. I mean it's an all-star game. First of all, it's the Olympic team. It's probably the best team of the nineties, you know, in any iteration, unless Kobe Bryant was somehow on it. And I mean, like talk about alpha dogs fighting for their team. And I mean, magic's the guy. And like, I just think he gets disrespected in the big scheme and we dismiss a lot of what he did. And I also respect just like, I don't want to let go of my title. And also Mike just, Again, this is I'm next level, just reminding everybody, the 10 best dudes in the world, like, hey, y'all are good, but like, this is my gym, and don't forget. (laughs) You know, they, we brought up Christian Leitner, right? And Ben, you gave like a little funny look on your face when, when Uncle Luke said it. So do you guys know who the alternative would have been if it wasn't Leitner? But they didn't, they want a college guy. I mean, I just, so who was, who was drafted right around that time? 92. So that's like Fab Five era, um, but it's close. not a Fab Five player. It's not Fab Five. Is it Grant Hill? I okay, and I guess I would have to do more research on it. There were rumors that Shaq is the other name. Oh, oh wow, Shaq. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but like, there's no there. You need a wing though. There's no room for Shaq. You got Malone, Barkley, the Bigs, David Robinson, Shaq or whatever. Over all those guys. I know I would too, but like, I mean, it's young not like Shaq Le- too. It's not like Leitner though was playing this wing position at an incredibly elite level compared to the other cats on the team. Like I mean, he was the best care. college basketball player at the time. There's no doubt about it. Like okay. Kristen Leitner on Duke in 1992 was the best ba- college basketball player. Bar none. Like fair enough. Uncle yeah. Luke, do you remember like growing up with the bulls and, and watching the team? Do you remember not necessarily the disdain for Tony Kukoc, but do you remember like the aftermath of, Oh, do you guys remember that time when Jordan and Kukoc and Pippen kind of went at it a little bit in the Olympics? Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, Tony Kukoc is beloved in this town, like, without a doubt. Like, I mean, he he 
played a significant role in those later years when you know Jordan you know maybe lost a step fit like athletically, but he still was you know the best player in the world. And but Scotty like you know ninety seven ninety eight Scotty started you know those those battles with Detroit and Boston and the Knicks like they took it like Scotty probably took as much of a beating as Michael you know did um maybe even a little bit more because you know Scotty was playing the best defense or playing the best offensive player as the best defender on the team so I mean I don't I don't remember any sort of disdain for Tony Kukoc but I thought it was super interesting how like there was absolutely no like it's like hey man no disrespect to you Tony but we hate you because Jerry Krause thinks is in love with you and like I find this like this this whole like we got to find some sort of goat or scapegoat here and it might as well be Jerry Krause I'm so indifferent on it like look I've hated Bulls management until you know three weeks ago for my entire life you know and Jerry Krause handed it off to Gar Foreman so like there was a passing of the asshole baton if you will um but I, like at the same time, like Jerry Krause is picking these guys out in the second round. Scotty Pippen was from Central Arkansas. Like, I, I kind of wish they gave him a just a tiny bit of credit that he picked these guys out of nowhere. Like he was the best GM in the league at the time. But at the same time, like he's the reason why this all broke up in the in the first place. And but I I think Tony, you know, is beloved in this town regardless. But I find it super interesting that there was that disdain before he even showed up. You know. Ben Sorensen, I had two quotes that stood out to me in this episode. I want you to pick your favorite, all right? Um, you had the brief moment where Dennis Rodman talked about going to Hooters um, to <laughs> Phil Jackson, saying he wanted to go see some tits and ass. The level of honesty that goes on in a Phil Jackson locker room is so remarkable. I've never seen anything like it. Like, I just remember back in the day, whether it was high school, any level of ball, there was always this like somewhat level of secrecy between you and the coach that you were going to be doing some nonsense while he wasn't there. And yet this team is completely open to their head coach, their boss, about what they're going to be doing in their free time. And even Michael pointed out saying, oh, you know, that's the good thing about Phil. You know, he knows that we need our breaks. The other quote that stood out to me is when Seinfeld visited the locker room and he said, this play's not going to work today. So, Ben Sorensen, go ahead, uh, pick your poison. What's the better quote? It has to be the Seinfeld. I mean, especially in the 90s at that time, If that's is that from the 99 season? Is that like – 98, that, yeah, yeah. It's the 98? Okay, so like both of them are probably like peak stardom. Jerry Seinfeld has to be the most popular movie or television star oh, yeah, at the, on, the on the planet at that point. And Michael Jordan's Michael Jordan. So it's like both of them shooting the shit like – Michael also looked relieved to see Jerry because I feel like Jerry also kind of understands that level of fame. Uh, but the audacity of Jerry to just walk into a Bulls locker room and just, hey, Phil, like, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, give me that. I mean, I respect Rodman and I love Phil and the honesty of just you maximize your guys. And, you know, some guys in order to get maximized – Gotta go to Hooters, you know? Um, I guess the last thing we'll wrap up on is um, I got like kind of three different things here, but I want to talk about Barkley, how much of a savage he was when he was playing. And honestly, probably kids our age don't quite understand how good he actually was. I want to get into Ahmad Rashad, the, uh, the reporter that got to just be on Jordan's hip the entirety of that season. Um, Rashad is obviously a former NFLer. So I think there was this level of trust that Jordan had to him saying, you know, oh, at least like he understands a little bit about what I'm going through as a player. 
And then we have to talk about the golfing and the gambling a little bit. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's more or less than what I expected going into the episode, but they talked about the gambling. And I wasn't sure that that was going to be a guarantee at all. Um, ben, are you surprised by how much they showed, or are you still kind of itching for more when it comes to Jordan's off-the-court troubles? I mean, like, that's what this doc, that's the point of these docs, I feel like, is these off-the-court issues. And uh, for him to do that interview with the shades on, first of all, it's iconic. Like, the look, everything. The fact that he grabbed the camera guy and was like, yo, we're going to do this. Uh, but if he did that today, it's like, you definitely have a gambling problem. You, you just denied it in the way of just, no, no, I, I can quit anytime. I'm just like competitive. It's not like my wife left me. Like, uh, so, I mean, I love it though, but like, obviously the most competitive guy wants to compete. Like you hear these stories of other athletes, like Drew Brees making up dumb games to play because he's going to beat you playing basketball. He's going to beat you playing basketball. He needs some other fix to, and so, I mean, if he needs to lose 57 large to at golf, like, <laughs> that's what it takes. You can handle it. You can financially handle it. Uncle Luke, um, you want you want to take away, give two minutes here yeah. on, you know, what you thought of the gambling um, background? Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, I've, I've heard those stories a, a bunch of times. I think the gambling stuff is probably the one thing that I knew the most about was, like, just... Because, you know, growing up in Chicago, you have so many people who have just so many stories about it. I thought the quarters stuff with the security guards, like, that is, like, the minimum. That's, like, Great Depression-type gambling, okay? Like, they don't have dice or anything. Let's just toss quarters at a at a wall, right? Um, you know, but I guess I've ne- I always thought it enhanced his legacy. Like, the fact that the man could play. And this that interview you're talking about, Ben, that's right before Game 3 in Chicago. They're down 2-0 to the Knicks in the 93 conference finals, right? That That's not, like, a sad. Saturday day matinee game where he's going to, you know what, I'm going to break my media silence. He's doing that right before the most important game of the year where they have, it's a must win game against, against, you know, the, the biggest foe at the time. Um, I, I mean, just the, the behind the scenes stuff, like I mentioned earlier is, is, is great because it, it's the most I think we've gotten so far of like, not the 98 season, but more like the 93 stuff, you know, Scotty and, and Harper, you know, after a game, they're, they're cracking out cigars and Miller lights after a game. Like we got to like, it, it, it really drove home how much of a toll these games and the stardom and all of this that came with being the nineties bulls took a toll on them. They just, they just needed to get away. They needed some sort of escape. And obviously for Michael, that was going to Atlantic city with his dad till, till 5 a.m. right and like and hit the fact that he could play 36 holes you know 36 holes of golf take a 30 minute nap and then tie him up and play against you know the 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 jazz or the knicks in the most important games of the year for me it just enhances his legacy like it's not my money he obviously has so much of it that it like if you want to call it a problem sure but it's only a problem if it's interfering with your work and with michael jordan it never interfered with his work so I love that. Oh my God! You could. I think you could run for mayor of Chicago on that little speech <laughs> yeah, you just like... had there, Uncle Luke. <laughs> that was pretty remarkable, my friend. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about Barkley. Um, obviously, in like the last year, last two years, the comparison, and there's no comparison to Draymond Green, but Draymond Green has brought the comparison on himself. The difference is, I think it's Zion Williamson's freak athleticism combined with Draymond Green's motor. So it's the best of both worlds with both those guys. Ben, what's the most impressive part of Charles Barkley's game from what you saw? 
I mean, a six-five power forward tearing up like the quota, like the big nineties, you know. Uh, and talk about, I'd love to see that guy play today. Uh, he'd be the perfect small five, and like he could just run and run, and just seeing. And that's another guy that, you know, we see Fat Chuck sitting on the TNT desk, and like he's hilarious, and he's part of the family. But you see him running like big men aren't supposed to move like that, uh, that quick and jump that high. So I mean. That's the thing that stands out in the 90s. And he won an MVP in an era that Michael Jordan was at the peak of his powers. You know, it's, you know sometimes there's flukes, but still, like, come on. You got to respect the man a little bit. Draymond Green, like, you got the rings, but you, you're never the best player on your team. That's, that's just a fact. Uncle Luke, is that Suns team the best team they played in, the, uh, in their six rings? Um, see, that's a good question. So you have the Lakers in 91, which had a, a young Vladi Divac, which I think a lot of people forget how good Vladi Divac was, um, especially when he was younger, obviously he got traded for Kobe. And like, that's kind of what a lot of people remember him as. And, and obviously with the Kings, um, but that, that Lakers team was kind of towards the end of its run. So I don't think so. That Blazer team with Clyde was really good. Um, that no one like really saw because it's out in Portland and it's a different era where you don't have league pass and you get to see these guys every night. Um, that Portland team was was pretty loaded, and Clyde was right up there as one of the best, you know, five best players in the league at the time. But I would, I, I think that was a the best series that, like, if you want to point to like Michael Jordan's greatness, it's that series because that's '93. That's the third ring, you know. Not many, you know, un- un- uh, outside of the Celtics and Lakers of the '60s, and uh, I think the Lakers in the '50s, maybe. Um, there hadn't been a three-peat since then. So, like, that's towards the end of your run. You're burnt out. And Michael goes out and averages, like, 40, you know, 40-plus or whatever and, uh, and like, five rebounds and six assists and shoots 50% from the field and just t- totally just dominates that series. And, by the way, he's playing golf out there, you know, in between games, right? Like, he is so completely bored with his competition. Um, and to bring up your point about Charles, like, I think people forget about Charles and Clyde and, and don't give these guys the respect they do because they just weren't as good as Michael Jordan. These guys are Hall of Famers, right? These are the best of the best, the cream of the crop of the 90s that we that a lot of people and a lot of guys who watch basketball in the 90s think is the golden era of, of basketball. And there's a case to be made because these guys were that good. And I think, I mean, Barkley today would just be out of control. He could handle it. He had a step back jumper that was, you know, I think back then wasn't as utilized as much as it would be today, obviously with all the guys that do these step backs. Um, but his game is, was good. Then it would have been good. Now it would have been good in the thirties. You know, if we played NBA basketball in the thirties, he was just that good of a player and Mike just blew him out of the water. And I think their, their legacies kind of get diminished in that respect because they couldn't just get over the hump on, on Michael. All right, gentlemen, we have two more episodes in the show. Is that, or four more? Four more. We have two more weeks of it. But okay, four so more four more episodes, two more weeks. You each get to pick one thing that is included in the next four episodes in the next two weeks. Um, so, you know, write, start writing your Christmas list. Ben Sorensen, what's at the top of that Christmas list for what you get to see in the remainder of the episodes? Uh, I mean, it's like we got to see him antagonize teammates, right? I mean, they've been kind of teasing yeah. the Steve Kerr thing, but... Uh, there's more than that, you know. I'm, I'm trying to see. We've seen degenerate game with Michael. We've seen like America's Sweetheart commercial Michael. But I want to see like talking shit about someone's family at practice, Michael, to make him stronger <laughs> for some playoff series that's down the road, you know. So, and then the payoff, you know, it's like someone becomes like whoever they need to become because Mike just tortured them at practice. So, 
Maybe it's Steve Kerr hitting. Maybe it's Steve Kerr hitting that big shot at the top of the key. Like whatever it may be, I, I'm with you on that. Uncle Luke, what's on the uh, what's on the wish list, my friend? Um, well, for me, I would say um, I'm really interested in that that '96 season. Uh, the '72 win, you know, '72 and '10 team um, is coming. And I think it's a the greater picture of Mike comes back. The I, I like I'm so ready for the I'm back facts story. Like why he decided just to send. I mean, obviously that's the form of communication back then is faxing, you know, uh, news to to people. But just the quick "I'm back" facts, and then everything that comes out. Like the fact he had to reinvent himself. He had been playing a different sport for the better part of two years. You know, he had taken time off. Um, I, I'm interested to see why he like stepped away. I think a lot of people are going to finally get the full on story of why he stepped away from the game. You know, you'll you'll get. We'll get, we'll get to hear Stern talk about it and like whether you think it was because of the gambling. I'm sure there was some sort of conversation about like, hey, Mike, chill out with the gambling, which at the time, like if that happens in 2020, people like would just be like, yeah, he's a gambler. So am I. Right. Like, I don't like I don't think gambling is bad as, you know, back then it may have been. Um, but I'm just super excited for the the 72 and 10 team. Um, the magic, like this, to get the the background of the magic, I think we're gonna get a little Shaq and Penny uh, action because they beat the Bulls in the '95 playoffs right as Michael comes back, and then to reinvent themselves, they get Rodman, and then they go on the second the second threepeat. Um, the second threepeat is what I've always, you know, that's what I grew up listening to was how good that the second threepeat was. The '72 wins, the two uh, series against the Jazz, and um, obviously a culmination of leading up to that '98 playoffs, which this documentary is kind of, you know closing the ends a little bit so i'm super excited about that gentlemen want to thank you for your time uncle lou thanks for stopping by joining us on this we, we i hadn't had i hadn't been able to talk to you about the last dance yet on air so it was important that we were able to squeeze this in i'm glad we were able to make it happen hey I appreciate it, man. My 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 tone and my excitement for Bulls basketball has just rapidly changed in this quarantine, right? It's just it's just totally different uh, energy levels now. So I'm excited to come on here. Beautiful, thank you, brother. All right, we'll no take problem. care. And uh, Ben, we we got some work to do still, my friend. Perfect. <laughs> See you, Uncle Luke. Peace.